0: Okay guys, very welcome back to the show, and I've got a very special guest on the show today, a man that's an author of fiction and non-fiction books, and he's an expert in all things Jack the Ripper, which is what we're kind of predominantly going to focus on today, it being October, near Halloween, near spooky season, Friday the 13th, just around the corner. So, Mr. Michael L. Hawley, how are you doing, man? Great, how are you doing? Doing good. As I said to you, it's, it's nice to break the monotony of pro wrestling and get back here and talking about strange and wonderful things and what a, what a place to start again. And actually, I was in London last month at the London Dungeon, which is okay. all based around Jack the Ripper. Are, are you familiar with the, the London Dungeon tour over there? Yes, I
1: haven't been on that, but I'm familiar with it, yes.
0: Yeah, I, we, we took our four-year-old on it, which... Wasn't uh, wise. They they said you have to be five, so we pretended that he was five. But then, as you go through the tour, there's like a roller coaster and a boat, and he was just a little bit too short to go on the. He was just grabbing onto my leg for the whole time. (laughs) Oh gee. (laughs) Yeah. So that was. It's a it's a fun experience. It's mostly just kind of tongue-in-cheek with actors but it is educational and they do go into detail there's various dungeons i've been to in europe amsterdam is another one where it kind of goes through serial killer history over there and okay it's just yeah it's it's nothing to be taken too seriously but i suppose in the with what you're involved in you you might get some kind of uh lighthearted fun out of it. oh
1: yeah oh yeah <laughs>
0: yeah so look <clears throat> i was looking on your website and before you became an author you kind of led a busy life just to say the least you want to kind of explain to people what your your background is okay There's I was, in there. Uh,
1: yes true i was uh um i graduated in the geology geophysics and i uh, got a master's in in kind of a, a paleontology fossil stratigraphy so uh, i love research and i love uh, discovery but also what i did is i became a, i was a navy pilot for uh and i retired as commander so uh, that is nice. It's actually really nice for the retirement. But while I've been doing that, I've also been teaching uh, to um, um, because I, I have a passion for science. But in the meantime, about 2009 is when I was actually uh, waiting for my first book to be published on a completely different s- subject. But that's when the economy went under around the world. So uh, So my publisher actually... Um, Was I was just waiting for them to make any decisions. So in the meantime, I I was watching a a Mystery Quest episode on Jack the Ripper and I found out that one of the prime suspects, this Francis Tumbley, is buried an hour and a half away from me. And he was born in uh, Ireland, but they at the time, they didn't know where or when he was uh, born, and I actually found that out, where he was born. But uh, it was intriguing because, of course, Jack the Ripper is a mystery today, so uh, I love mystery, so I, lo- I decided, well, my background in research is slightly different than the usual people that research Jack Ripper, as in maybe police officers uh, or uh, sometimes physicians or uh, attorneys, that uh, the, the physical science is a different style of research. And so to me, I think is one of the reasons why I discovered a wealth of new information on this suspect that's buried in Rochester, New York, which is near
0: me. Yeah, <clears throat> So we're, we're going to talk about Francis later on, but just as you brought it up there, how did you, how you end up being able to trace him back to Ireland? What kind of process was involved in that?
1: Well, the other uh, thing that I, I do is I do family research. And with the family research, I do a, um, a lot of uh, um, research online. And also, but i I look at uh you know a couple of people have asked me to do their family history, so I decided to do the family history of Francis Tumbledee, and nobody could find out where he had lived or or and or where he was born. I mean, he definitely lied a lot because he claimed he was a a uh, uh, old money wealthy surgeon. His father was a surgeon and in... he was actually born in county Meath on a tenant farm. And that was, he was born in uh, in uh, 1830. And what happened was, is the, because it was 1830, I think that's why no one knew where he was. I knew he was one of 11 children. He was the 11th. So I looked in the 1823 census in Ireland and I found the family. So if I found the family, then I found him, even though he was not born yet, but that's where he was born. So uh, so then uh, that's where I found out uh, where he was from. And then also that's when uh, uh, the the potato, the potato famine was about to happen, but it was still at the time, you know, the Ireland was going through the Industrial Revolution uh, was hurting Ireland because of the flax industry. And so Francis Tumley's mother was a spinner. So for the flax industry, but that was when it was hurting. So many of his older siblings had already moved to the United States where because of the Erie Canal and north uh, in the northeast, there was they were experiencing a, a boon. So yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's mad. So can you tell us is there still lineage of his family in Ireland, or do you know that kind of information?
1: Uh, there is a an Irish uh, reporter that was involved with me probably ten years ago, and she actually found family members in County Meath, and uh, and now even though the name Francis Tumbley used was spelled. T-U-M-B-L-E-Y, R-E-L-E-T-Y. When you look at the family history, it was T-U-M-U-L-T-Y, T-U-M-I-L-T-Y, T-E-U-M-E-L-T-Y. You know, there was variant spellings. And so even on uh, the family gravestone in, in Rochester, it's uh, T-E-U-M-E-L-T-Y that he used. So the the, the name Tumblety was actually brand name for his quack doctor business so he used that and he purposely did not want people to know his family background because he was claiming that as i was saying that he was he was from wealthy money a uh, wealth uh, and they they weren't so he separated in fact one of his brothers was uh, in rochester even i always spelled his last name t u m i l t y at the same time and then his other brother was using T U M U L T Y, so that that name's all. It goes back and forth, but that family apparently does have knowledge. The clan does have knowledge of of Tumbledy being a, a a Jack the Ripper suspect.
0: Mm. And were were any of those other siblings with different name variations? Were they ever in any kind of trouble, or was it just Francis himself? It
1: was. It was basically francis is what what happened was is when he came to america he came to rochester as a teenager around 17 years old he got caught up with two different quack doctors so for the next nine years he was learning the business and then he crossed the border into canada they called it canada west at the time and he started doing his quack doctor business and he made in today's value a million dollars in 3 years by scamming everyone he he claimed to be a cure all doctor and then but his other family members they they had normal businesses although at the same time Tumbley had this bitter hatred of women and what happened was is if and his brother was reported to have that same bitter hatred and so i looked at the the census material and the boys were uh, considered literate but all the sisters were illiterate and uh, so you could see there was a possibly a family thing there going on but Tumbley would say he was he was Catholic and there was a misconception at the time for many Catholics it was not doctrine but he believed it was not Adam that committed this, the original sin it was Eve deceiving Adam therefore women were the curse of the land including disease and tumbly he was i've discovered that he was born as what we, they used to call a hermaphrodite as in he had both male and female parts and his male part didn't work <laughs> so he could not rape but the uh because it was the size of the tip of his thumb and so he blamed women for that and and so but then when he uh, developed syphilis at uh in 1880 that would have been a trigger point for him, and that's when I start seeing these uh, unsolved murders in America.
0: Well, it's fascinating then as well. And you know, what, what, like, what is it that really drew you into all this Jack the Ripper stuff? Was it just watching it that one night on TV, or is there is there more well, to it than that?
1: Right. The uh, there's uh, the British retired police officer Stuart Evans. He was the one that uh, found in the 1990s a, a private letter. A chief inspector at Scotland Yard at the time of the Ripper murders, and it was a private letter that he he acquired that it's uh, and that said that the a person asked who do you think Jack the Ripper was because this chief inspector Littlechild was there he was in the in the inner circle, always at the Sunday meetings even though he was actually head of special branch which was the kind of the CIA version of Scotland Yard but he knew all and so. Uh, he said, well, I don't know about the suspect you're tr- refer- inferring about, but uh he, he was the very likely suspect. That shocked Stuart Evans because Stuart Evans had never heard of this guy. Not only never heard of him, it's not that he was a minimal suspect. Here's a chief inspector saying he was the prime suspect and the very likely Jack the Ripper. It shocked them. So then he started researching it for two years and then he discovered all the information was actually uh, in the United States. There was a, a an, they they tried to bury it in Scotland Yard and the they the, had a little bit of control over the the papers and that's my latest book I showed that so but it was uh, that Stuart Evans had found that so here it is I when I watched the show on Mystery Quest with Stuart Evans that ooh it's a mystery and and so my background is to do research and so. I would like to try to take a shot at it. So I was going to start with Tumblety because he was buried close to me. So then, if once I exhausted him, I was going to go to the next suspect, then go to the next one. Well, it's been how many years and three books later, and I still find more stuff. So, and uh, I mean, just shocking things like Scotland Yard never knew this, but in 1881, about six or seven years before the murders, he's in New Orleans and he uh he always loved to pick up young men he molested young men all the time and so he had this young man who was a male prostitute and he took ripped the cigarette out of his mouth and gave him a cigar and he said there's two things wrong with young men these days cigarettes and streetwalkers they should all be disemboweled that's what jack the ripper did well this Scotland yard never knew he said that so it's like everything i find about him is damning and then i found out In the 1880s, he's carrying surgical knives around, surgical instruments. Now he originally did it because he was trying to show that he was a retired surgeon, but in his travel chest, the same travel chest that he would go to England in, and we know that Jack the Ripper used a uh, amputation knife, so a long knife. And so here, who is the only suspect that has that? And then so here's Tumbly, a guy that during the Civil War he owned a collection of uterus specimens. It's like how many? And that's what Jack the Ripper took. And then during the year of the murder, January, in Toronto, he was re- he was interviewed and because his syphilis was turning into neurosyphilis at the time, though uh, it affected his uh, kidney and heart. But he said that he told that reporter that he was constantly in dread of sudden death because of kidney and heart disease. So here's Jack the Ripper took the kidney out of one and the uterus, the heart out of another and the uterus. So those three organs are connected to him. Nobody knew this. And it's like... And that was just more damning information. It's like, wow, just think of Scott and Yard knew that. <laughs> and he was already a prime suspect. And which I found out too was that when I got involved, a lot of the experts were saying, Well, he's probably not, he was probably a minimal suspect at best. Well, I found out that not only did Scott and Yard follow him to America, they went after him. And then so, and that's what this latest book has, the first two chapters. And then one of the uh, Jack the Ripper experts that uh, interviewed me says, "Well, you definitely put that part to bed." <laughs> so, but yeah, so <laughs> it just keeps on fi- finding more. So it's fun. I, I just love the discovery that, And then when I discover something, I like, go, "Oh, nobody knows about this yet. What am I going to do?" So <laughs> I had to publish. <laughs> do you
0: do you think you're ever going to be in a situation where you're not going to be looking at Tumblety as the the prime suspect?
1: Uh, well, that was the original plan. And so, but what happens now is th- there's more doors that open up. One, the qu- the reason what happened was, is after my second book, they said, well, if he truly was a serial killer. And, and when he, by the way, when Tumblety was a- arrested on suspicion, but nobody saw the murders. So that, they, but they had, they had him nailed on molesting young men. It was a misdemeanor charge at the time. So he could post wow. bail. So he posted bail, sneaked out of the country and the murder stopped. So... So then what happens when he came to America, he had to stay in America because that misdemeanor charge was not extraditable. So the question I got was, is well, if he was truly a serial killer, were there any ripper like murders in America when he was there? Well, that's what I started doing. And then I'm still not done with it. But so I found 39 unsolved murders that I cannot eliminate him as being uh, possibly the offender as in, because he was a hermaphrodite or intersex condition, uh, most young women at the time on the streets that were murdered ripper style, they were actually raped as well. So, but I, they, I, I found these mysterious murders where that's when he, he realized that he had syphilis, like a trigger point. But what happened was is uh, they, they called them mysterious murders because it was they had no motive in their minds. So, because there was no rape, there was no robbery well, nowadays, that now that we know what serial killers do, the, the anger, retaliatory, that hatred. So, you know, here it is, Tumbledore, in 1880, lost the court case against a woman in New York City. Well, then he takes the train. He was a transit. He was always traveling. And so I found these 39 uh, murders near train tracks all the time. So I call it the Railway Ripper. But what happened is, is right out of um, uh, Grand Central Station, you go northeast and you go into... Uh, Connecticut, and there was a young woman that was murdered right there within two weeks of that, where it was the woman was young woman was mutilated, and the big long knife was stuck in her thigh. So and that just keeps on going. And then the next year, here's Tumbly he was a quack doctor still. He had a quack doctor business in Manhattan. and what happened was is that was eighteen eighty one. This young woman came from Connecticut, another one that went to Manhattan to get a, uh, an abortion. Well, they were illegal, so he was. she went purposely to a, a quack doctor. And well, two months later they found her dismembered body in Long, Long Island with her head still with it. So because her head was there, they identified her and the, they found out that she went to that quack doctor and he had a solid alibi. Well, if you look where she was Station uh, in Manhattan, just a couple blocks to the west, was francis tumbley's office and it's so what's interesting about that body was all the organs were missing the head was there though now if uh they were thinking that it was just uh the police were thinking that it was just a uh, uh let's say an abortion going to rise so the guy the guy tried to hide the the, the, the evidence the body well if you do that but back then the only way to identify a person would be the face you wouldn't have the face with the yeah. body But it was, but the organs were missing and that's what Tumbley always collected. So, so it's like, I didn't look for this. It looked, it found me. And then it just keeps on getting so, so more details. And so then I found about 34 attempted murders. And uh, the nice thing about those is that the, the woman has an eyewitness account. So there's eyewitness testimony and Tumbley was unusually tall. He was six foot tall. When he came back to America, he was reported wearing an ulster coat. So I find time and time again, it's a tall man <laughs> in a gray ulcer coat, tall man in a gray ulcer coat, tall man in a mustache gray ulcer coat. And it's like, I really honestly believe I found a late 19th century uh, serial killer that took advantage of the trains. Just think like, there was no FBI at the time. If you're on a train, you stop at a uh, train station, kill some woman and get back on that train and leave. There was no way they're going to catch you because they always thought it was a local a thing like a farm hand or something that killed somebody, but it's like, and it would have yeah. lasted a long time. So from 1880 to 1901, I see these. So, and then I can't eliminate him because I found Tumbley was a transient. So he had this annual train path that he would take to these cities. He loves cities stay a week or so. And then, so I would file that. And so I made a map of all the, the locations of the, the unsolved murders and assaults and then Tumbley's annual train path pattern and they match. <laughs> so it's like I didn't make that up either. So it's like so that is to me is like exciting. So there's more to that because what I did not do is uh ever since 1873 tumbly would go to Europe for pretty much a few months.
0: That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, that's I, what I was I, going to ask
1: next. I haven't even looked there. <laughs> Other than mm. 1888 during the Whitechapel murders, but it's like I haven't even looked in Europe yet, so so that would take a while.
0: <laughs> and we'll leave Europe to decide then for a moment because I was reading up about that. But what evidence have you gathered from Whitechapel then with Tumble Deer at, at the time?
1: Oh, at the time, what happened was, is what Scotland Yard did. What the, the of course, Scotland Yard was not talking, but I found out that which nobody knew this, but the source of Tumbley being connected to the Whitechapel murders was this New York World correspondent. And he told, said that on two separate occasions about his uh, his Scotland yard informant. And so his when he would get any stories about the Whitechapel investigation during the murders, he would go to his Whitechapel informant because the uh, New York World office was just next door to Scotland yard. So and and so then what we found out was that he was the one that discovered that they call him uh, whoever the informant said read it with a K, not a T, but Cumbety, uh This uh, New York doctor from New York, a uh, New York doctor. So then when the the press went to the New York City Police Department, Chief Inspector Burns said, "Oh, that's Tumblety. <laughs> and so he knew automatically who it was. And the reason is because in contact with Scott and yard when, especially when Tumbley sneaked out of the country. So uh, Burns had two detectives waiting for Tumbley off the plank when he got off the, the the ship. But so what happened was, is he was, he was initially arrested on suspicion, but as I said, nobody saw the murder. So what they did was is they had him nailed on a gross indecency case. So, but what happens is Scott yard is not in charge of the courts. So that's the, uh, so it goes to the judicial system so they have to put that prisoner in front of a magistrate within 24 hours or do they have to release him so they put him in front of the magistrate so the first is called a uh, committal hearing is the magistrate going to commit this person in jail to remand him um i'm sorry it was a remand hearing to remand him in jail in Holloway prison until the committal hearing which possibly would commit him up to the the judge because it was a, a, a murder case uh so So what happened was, is we see that Tumbley was arrested on uh, received into custody on November 7th for the remand hearing, and he had to have been released by November 8th. And so for a narcissist like Tumbley, the outrage of that would have been he would have been in in maximum rage. And then November 9th is the last of the Ripper murders, uh, Mary Kelly. So then on November 14th, he was uh, uh, received into custody for the committal hearing. And he posted bail on the 16th and so so that what happened was he uh, sneaked out of the country by um, by uh, november 23rd and 24th he was on the ship and so it was Scotland yard following him all the way through so what we we don't know i mean we know that that he had this bitter hatred of women he uh, and especially prostitutes and so um and so we don't know the details but we just know that he was such a such an important suspect that when he sneaked out of the country, they followed him. And when he came to New York City on December 2nd, not only were there two New York City detectives, there was a Scout and Yard detective waiting for him. And so then uh, by December 4th, the, the papers found out there was a Scout and Yard detective looking for the guy that did it, meaning uh, Francis Tumbley, when they interviewed somebody. So uh, when Tumbley read that, he sneaked out of the country. I mean, he sneaked out of New York City. And I found out where he went to, and he went to uh, a Waterloo, New York. And how I know that is because his sister lived there. And wouldn't you know that evening, when he was there, that a woman was accosted at night. Uh, And if you look at the Whitechapel murders, a couple of them, you see that their tongues were sticking out, they were strangulated first. And then so you could almost call Jack the Ripper, Jack the Strangler. And so these women were attacked by the throat first to drop down. And then this woman got away and the reporter and in the waterloo paper was convinced it was Tumblety. <laughs> that's why he said we've got here's a jack the ripper suspect in town and this would happen so that's kind of the the process what happened through those
0: there there's
1: more there's hours more of that
0: yeah <clears throat> i see like online that you've done some lectures in liverpool and various other places how did they come about and what kind of stuff do you do in terms of lectures on this subject
1: Oh, that, uh, I still enjoy those. So the that was after my first book. But what happened was, is it's kind of interesting. When I started involved getting involved, Jack uh, Jack DeR- or Francis Tumbley was considered a minor suspect. But it wasn't my arguing. It was the data, the things that I were, was finding, that that was Fox. clear that he was a uh, a top suspect. Well, that caught the interest of uh, the people in London. So one of the Jack the Ripper uh, lectures was actually in Liverpool. So I got to go there. Here's kind of, it's kind of cool because here's an American giving a, a Jack the Ripper, uh, you know, a lecture about a a, a British murder to Britons, (laughs) but that was fun. So, but, so then um, there's, there's a, uh, so I had you know, so. I was had lectured in a lot of other places as well, and I still will. This is this is new. There's a, a possible documentary coming out of uh, all of this, and and that's another Irish connection there as well.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. You 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 made a trip to Dublin, and you've done some stuff over here then as well. Do you want to tell people oh, yes. about that? Uh,
1: that was well. The nice thing is when you get involved with this, then uh, the uh, the TV finally. Uh, I recognize you. So it was a travel channel that asked. They were doing it. Uh, a it was called the the series was Legend Hunter and and they were talking to Stuart Evans, who was the man that discovered Francis Tumbly. And they and Stuart Evans said, well, you know, my colleague is the one that's doing the active research right now. So they actually flew me to Dublin for a three-hour interview, which was on the on the travel channel. So it was really neat. And that was because I had discovered in um, and, and there was a court case in st. Louis and the court case had 40 over 40 sworn testimony in the last 20 years of his life lots of damning information in there so that's what they were interested in at that time so then uh, the when I was on the history's greatest mysteries, they just needed an expert. so they they, they didn't want to talk about Tumbledee at this time. They wanted to talk about a few other suspects, so they just used me as an expert, which is fine. But this next one is uh, Irish film director Jason Figgis and uh, producer John West. Uh, they are producing a documentary on uh, Francis Tumblety and my book as well. And so, We've got some connections going on as we speak, a couple producers in uh, the Hollywood area that, uh, so we just have to wait to see, you know, what, what happens. But it's, it's it's pretty exciting that it's guaranteed to have it. So that, uh, how, how long that takes, I'm not sure, but uh, that's fun. So I would love to go back and visit Ireland for that. That would be awesome.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, you'll have, you'll have to take a, a trip over here, maybe try some, jemison maybe try some guinness oh proper guinness.
1: yes oh yeah proper that's proper guinness that's right <laughs>
0: yeah the real stuff so what's what kind of what kind of stage is that project at? Then it's just kind of in kind of pre-production then at the moment still is it
1: uh yes uh, although we have um it's a minimum of three it's a docu-series so a minimum of of three that we have and so uh, that Jason, uh, John West, and I have kind of figured out a bit of how we want to have it done. And the, the big difference between writing books, you can get into extreme detail and talk forever. But like, for example, podcasts, you don't have time to talk about all the stuff. Also on, on uh, the films, you have to... you. You know, you have to be selective in how you say things. So me, I'm, yeah. I, I belabor the point too much. So John reels me in. <laughs> so I've uh, they've interviewed me a couple times, and so they have that. But uh, we want to do a lot more. They w- want to have. Uh, they want to really uh, make it a a very good documentary, of course. So yeah,
0: that's the plan. What the what do you, what do you think the key to making a good documentary like that is? Because we see so many different variations of kind of untold murder stories and different documentaries all the time on different channels. What for you, in your opinion, makes it makes a good one? For me, is is data
1: driven. Is that? that's sadly, you can't always use that. But for me, it's it's the the research is important. So for my for example, my research, I always have it peer reviewed, basically by the Ripperology people when I have sent my articles in and let them try to rip it apart. As The more they can rip it apart because they're non-tumbly uh, you know, experts. And so then they will, if there's any gaps, they're gonna let me know. So I love that. So my book has kind of like uh, been uh, uh, created under, fire so it's uh, and so then this will be based on that so everything we have and i insist on it making sure that everything is accurate so their job is to make it you know make it sound good and you know that the public will enjoy but i'm i'm kind of a picky person so i want to make sure it's accurate which i was (laughs) that's why in the history channel the history the director I kind of bugged him a lot because I would, he would want me to say something. And I said, well, that's historically inaccurate. It was this. So, so he goes, okay, I get it. So, so I, that's what I was doing. But so basically that's for me is it makes sure that it's accurate. So, because there's a lot yeah. of documentaries that are not. And so even though the the general public won't know it, but others, if you want to have it, have this, uh, and have legs that it's, a uh, A credible documentary it needs to be a a correct
0: yeah in terms of what you're saying that about the history channel were they just trying to like i have talked to a lot of people that have say been on netflix reality shows etc etc but you've got somebody there beside you saying now can you say this was a kind of some of that kind of stuff going on
1: yeah what happened was is they they gave me the list of the five experts they were going to use and by the way i was the only only one that wrote a non-fiction book on Jack the Ripper, okay. I didn't get that, but I do realize one of them was the uh, great-grandson of H.H. H. Holmes. And so the History Channel was trying to promote Jeff Mudgett's theory that his great-grandfather was Jack the Ripper, H.H. H. Holmes, the Chicago serial killer of 1894. So I know the counter-evidence to that, and he wasn't even in London at the time. So so I just said, I insisted to the producer, I said, uh, the director, I'm sorry, that I, I get to say that. So he did film me talking about the counter evidence, but he never showed it. So then I realized that if you ever watch the show, he is trying to kind of make the show look like H.H. H. Holmes was the best of those suspects, and that's what he was trying to do. But uh, it was mm-hmm. it was nice though being flown to Los Angeles and for for free. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, can we talk about the I've been reading up about this dear boss letter and the significance yes. of that. Can you, can you tell me about the significance of that Link back to Tumblety and why it like, looks like it's his,
1: well, uh, it would be the from hell letter, but in the dear boss letter is an important one as well, though. We could mm-hmm. we should talk about that one. The dear boss letter yeah. that right there happened, uh, in, uh, uh, September 25th. What happened was, is the central news agency received this letter called Dear Boss. And it was titled Dear Boss, was written in red, and it was signed Jack the Ripper. And that was that was where the name came from. And what happened was, is he, in that letter, he said, uh, a, it was basically Americanism. See, so Dear Boss is an Americanism too. So, and at the time they were thinking that maybe Jack the Ripper was an American kind of doctor or something like this. And so that kind of fit. Well, then he hinted that he's going to, you know, do something with the ear of one of the victims, and that's what happened, is uh, the the next victim had a little bit of the ear clipped. So, Scotland Yard thought, well, maybe if this truly was uh, a Jack the Ripper... Then this is his handwriting, so they wanted to publish that paper, and, and then the papers, and then the name stuck. So before that, it was the Whitechapel fiend or the Whitechapel murderer, but right after that, it was Jack the Ripper. Well, so what happened was, is two weeks later, then uh, uh, this this uh, a man named Lusk that's the president of the Vigilance Committee, in October received this letter, but it had a box, and then it had a part of a kidney. And that one, it started with from hell and, you know, and so, oh, well, actually dear Mr. Lutz, but it, it, it was signed from hell. So in there, the last woman had her kidney taken. So, and then in that letter was saying that it was, you know, that, you know, you know, it tasted good, all that kind of business. And so that's a possible ripper letter. So most people, most experts today consider the dear boss letter, actually from a central news agency reporter and one of the reasons is because the central news agency was the associated press of the time at that thing and how do you get in all the papers send it to the central news agency so they wanted that in the papers so you can see that that was going on and no other person would have known that they would have sent it to the police they could have sent it to anywhere but the central news agency so Scotland yard was not duped nor was anybody still today that it's not considered the a you know eject the from jack the ripper but the from hell letter is goes back and forth and interestingly a a uh, handwriting expert in pittsburgh matched that letter with the uh, tumbly handwriting so that right you know and then there's a uh, the most li- recent uh, a postcard that came that they discovered it has a, v- a very similar handwriting as well so that would be kind of like would be connected more with francis tumbly especially that box where it was sent, it was a tall man, I would say a gray oyster coat, but a tall man and a thick mustache was the one that was asking uh, questions about that just before that letter was sent with the box. So there are some possible connections with Francis Tumblr with that one.
0: Excellent, excellent. <clears throat> and for people that want to kind of check out your books, like you've got an extensive range of books now, and most of them are actually Based around Jack the Ripper. So, do you want to just kind of give a breakdown of what books are available on your website at the moment?
1: Okay, the website is michaellhawley.com dot com, and then uh, so I have three fiction novels and, and now three or plus uh, nonfiction. So, the the nonfiction are based on my research around Francis tumbley and the Whitechapel murders, and then so what happened though is there. Uh, Uh, My fiction novels are based similar to the very first one that Richard Ripper's Hellbroth was actually based on an actual investigation by Scout and Yard that Jack the Ripper was actually a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type person. During the day, he was a prominent physician at night. He was a medical maniac looking for the elixir of life, mixing with herbs. Well, Tumbledy was an herb doctor and he was... He had this obsession with youth, and he would talk about the uh, intellectual life. And here it is, the, uh, when the first Whitechapel murder occurred in Lyceum Theater, Mansfield's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was being shown at that time. And then, so, and then the business manager was Bram Stoker, author of Dracula. His best friend was Sir Henry Alcane, who was the boyfriend of Francis Tumbley. So <laughs> there's always these connections with Francis Tumbley. So what I did and was... A lot
0: a lot of Bram Stoker written, written Dracula written in Dublin as well, as I'm uh, sure you know.
1: Well, yes, that's right. And and here it is. That's an immortal being right there that and loves blood. So bloodlust. I lust I'll
0: tell it, you, I tell you something funny. That it always they always say it over here. The tree, uh, the tree top selling books ever. Two of them are from Ireland. Dracula, the Guinness Book of Records, and then the Bible, of course, which wasn't which wasn't written here.
1: <laughs> well you have one of the <laughs> oldest bibles in europe right uh is in in dublin so maybe that's yeah it too. <laughs> yeah
0: so maybe then, that's uh, part of it
1: yeah and it's so uh, so my non-fictions are based on a uh, modern day serial killings going on in in america where they are doing a jack the ripper uh copycat but is it really a copycat or did the elixir really work that's kind of the story so but then i keep on going with that so um uh The uh, that's my three fiction novels Uh, but so I keep and I keep on uh, finding more stuff so that's that's kind of it in a nutshell Mm
0: -hmm. where do you keep all your research do you print everything out do you keep it all on files on your computer do you have hard copies what way do you kind of organize your stuff from your research
1: well I, I, I actually have a hard copy of a lot of stuff but it really is now online on hard drives and so I save my hard drives and so I have that, especially when my research is online, and then so especially with the with finding because all the original, um, you know, the files are lost, um, in the, in the physical evidence is gone with this case. You're it's really the newspapers that have investigative reporters that maybe talked to a Scotland Yard detective or something, or the court cases like in in, in St. Louis. So. But so then what I do is then I, I definitely digitize all of that stuff to keep it because it's easy. It's also easy to bring with me to, if I'm going to do a lecture again in, in uh, Liverpool or in England or something. If I have that, I have it on my file or I have it on the, you know, like uh, the cloud. So if I lose my computer, then just give me a computer. I can download it. So it's, uh, it's ready to go. So but it's also nice just to have it right there for you to talk. Yeah. Take advantage of yeah. modern technology.
0: Yeah, I just, yeah. I, I, always worry. I always worry myself about modern technology and just what if I lose everything? Like I'm the, ki- I'm the type of guy now. When I go to the airport, still, I got my, pa- or I got my boarding <laughs> pass printed off. Because right? if I'm walking into the airport, my phone drops and my screen breaks, <laughs> I'm fucked. <laughs>
1: that's right. That's I'm always right.
0: thinking. I'm always thinking the worst. <laughs> That's why I actually when I
1: were at the airport, my old uh, my adult daughter, when we were traveling through Europe, she had all the stuff on her phone, and I, I I just didn't know what she was doing. She was doing it so fast. Okay, Dad, come on in. You can get in the air, you know, in the airplane because I already gave him the ticket. What? I don't have a hard copy. Where is it?
0: <laughs> so hard to I'm not get used fast. to. Hard to be used to. <laughs> um, is there any any other projects then that you're currently working on? I know you said you're kind of working on another book. Is there anything else coming up?
1: so it's it's mostly that that kind of stuff the projects would be uh i'm i'm usually dealing with a lot of people coming up to me and asking me to you know they have their own research and so because i've kind of jumped into a lot of things discovered a bunch of different things they're asking me to help out so i'm kind of helping them out as well but so then uh, my publisher is asking me to do some other things too so there's there's just Lots of things in the fire. What I really want to do is focus on those, that documentary, but also get into, an, I just published this book, so I want to start a, a little bit of a lecture series these next couple of years first, so I, get to, so I get to talk, because I love talking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully we'll, we'll talk to you again at some point soon, maybe when the, the documentary is up and running, then you get to Ireland for a few pints of Guinness. Oh, yeah, that's
1: right. That's right. And I love that. I love my
0: Guinness. (laughs) Michael, a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm going to post your website underneath here if people want to go and check out your work. And thanks very much for your time today.
1: Well, thank you for uh, speaking with you there, Morris. It was great.
0: Cheers, Matt. Thank you.